0: All right, who is ready for a Labor Day weekend message? Can I hear an amen? You guys excited to have Labor Day weekend? How many are excited to get out and do some good stuff, a day off? How many have to labor on Labor Day? Anybody? Okay, most of you guys have off just one over here. I want to tell you guys I am so excited that the church is moving in the direction that it is with this truck. But I've got to give you a pastor apology. I've got to make a repentance, okay? Now, this is good for pastors to do this because whenever pastors are wrong, they've got to repent as well. So when we wanted to raise the money for the truck, the Lord put it on our heart to get a ministry truck, I really felt in my heart that we needed to do that in 30 days. If you guys remember that, I actually came up and I said, Said, I believe God told us to do it in 30 days. Well, we didn't do it in 30 days, and so I want to repent. I did not hear from God on that, I was wrong. And uh, some people may say, well, Pastor, what if you did hear from God and people didn't give? See, it wasn't an ultimatum. It wasn't uh, if people do this, then God will do it. No, no. I really felt like God said say, he will do it in 30 days. And so that means if no one here would have done it, a person that I would have met on the streets would have done it. And I've seen God do that like that. I had a person in, that I met on a plane give us over $15,000 to the ministry, and I had never seen him afterwards. And so uh, it's not that the people were not generous. We raised 7000 $1000 last month. Can we give that up for Jesus? Amen. And so and so I don't want anyone to think like they did something wrong. Now, if you did something wrong, that's between you and the Lord, but like I said, if I had heard from God, you doing something wrong wouldn't have stopped the Word. Does does everybody get that? And then the second thing is, some people may say, well, Pastor, maybe you heard from God, but you didn't do it the right way. Maybe you were supposed to have a car wash in the back parking lot, shake the people down a little bit, have a swap meet. No, 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 we don't do that. We haven't done that. We will never do that. Uh, Some people suggested, well, why don't you just divide up the members of the church, divide it by 12,000? No, we don't do that. There's people in this church that could cut the check for 12. There's people that can give 10. We don't tell you what to give. I don't say like, well, there's 200 of you, so each give $125. No, we're not ghetto like that. Are you listening? It's really simple. Pastor, miss God, do you guys forgive me? Forgive me for missing God. I want to have a good reputation with you when it comes to finances. I could have just said, well, maybe, you know, something happened and we'll just move on. No, I'm going to apologize because over the last years I haven't missed God on finances. So what I learned from my lesson, what does pastor learned from this, because we should learn from our lessons, is that even though I got a lot of gray hair, I can still be young and zealous, and I need to learn to slow down a little bit. And so we have a uh, financial committee, and I went to them on this, and I'm, I literally said to them, Can I step out on faith? I need to learn how To do this because I, I thought I heard God, as, as a matter of fact, I could tell you where I thought I heard God, but obviously, it was just my imagination and excitement. I was cutting my grass and I was thinking about this truck, and I was saying, Man, the weather, you know, and it's gonna get cold, but if we do it now, and, and you know, it will be awesome. And, and I and I want to give so much, and Lord, you've told me to give this much, and I, I just think you'll do it in a month. So, it's, you know, that was that was the good idea, but not a God idea. But, but here's the thing when I went to the financial committee, I said, Can I step out on this. And they said, Pastor, we'll let you do that. Now, the problem with that is when you step out on the water alone, if you fall, you're alone. You know what I'm saying? So what I learned from this is now, I'm going to make sure that the pastoral, uh, I mean, the the financial committee, those elders, they get the time frame with me next time. So everybody say, God is good. Okay, so I learned my lesson. So next time, if I'm cutting the grass, and I feel we need to raise $100,000 in 30 days, I'm going to go to Ishmael, I'm going to go to Ricky, I'm going to go to Cynthia Rodon, the few that are on that financial committee, and I'm going to go, here's the deal. You know, because like with this, the truck is a God thing. We all knew that, but but it was the time frame. They said, Pastor, you know, because most of our building funds are just done until they're done. It's just, here's the need. We believe God told us to do the truck. Let's just raise the money until it comes. So we're not in a hurry. But this was one of those unique situations where it was like, guys, is it okay if we step out and try to do it in 30 days? But from this point, if I come to them and I say, which I don't want to do that anytime soon, if I go, well, let's do this in 30 days, I'm going to say, I want you to pray. I want you to pray. And then you guys come back to me to see if God told you 30 days or was that because I was just really excited wanting to do the things for God. Okay, so you guys forgive me. Now, that took a lot of courage for me to do that. Now, do likewise, okay? Follow your pastor's example. When you sin or miss God, repent and make it right learn your lesson, and move forward. And what's beautiful, what is just beautiful about the truck, like I said, we've raised over $7,000. A few more thousand will buy the truck for around nine or ten. I have a deal that I think I'm working on right now with U-Haul. Then we'll spend the rest for renovations, and that bad boy is going to be used for God. And we will do it without any stress, without any pressure. So now you can be free to go and be blessed Labor Day weekend, because what I want to do now is just pray for you to Continue to work and serve the Lord as I continue to work and serve the Lord because what we do uh, for the Lord, whether it's literally being a pastor or being a baker, a candlestick maker, a teacher, a doctor, a lawyer, a nurse, all these wonderful jobs that we have represented in this church, we have to do it as unto the Lord. So now I want to pray for us for Labor Day. Can I do that? Can I get an amen? Uh, Would you put up on the screen for me, please, Brother Colossians 3.17 is a key scripture that we all should remember. And as workers in the United States of America, we have a certain blessing in this nation. We were one of the only uh, people to decide to have a democracy based upon a religious belief. Uh, This is a long story to get into our American history, but uh, we could probably be called rightfully even to this day, looking back at history and how all the nations have started, still the only one that started this way, the American experiment. And so what's unique about that is the worker is not just a spoke in the wheel. You are not in a socialist nation. You're not in an imperialist nation you're not in a communist nation you're not in an empire like the aztec empire or the incan empire you are not a part of, you weren't a part of a tribe like a lot of our people come from tribes and and our families etc we weren't a part of uh, knights and kingdoms like this we were a unique experiment to have the religious belief that god created us with innate rights and liberties and that through that one of them was life and the pursuit of happiness through our employment. So this is very special. Are you listening to me? You would not have felt this working for the Mayans. You would not have felt this working for the Egyptians. You would not have felt this working for the Greeks or for the Romans. Is anybody listening to me today? What you feel here in America. And sadly we're becoming the slave to our own success and we're not taking our time off to stop, to thank God for what he's done for us, to look back at our nations history, despite its mistakes, it still set a course that other nations didn't. Let me just help you with this because I love my African-American brothers and sisters. There's still slavery in Africa today. You ever heard of Dofar? Have you heard of Sudan? There's still slavery today in India. There's still slavery today in China. It gets quiet when I preach like this. There is still today slavery in all parts of the world, uh, many parts, not all parts, but many parts of the world where they do not have democracy. So pretty much if there is not a democracy there, there is slavery. Thailand and the sex trade, Indonesia, just study the sex trade right now. There's hundreds of thousands. As a matter of fact, they rescued about 500 just a few years ago from Chinese sex trades. And uh, these things are not commonplace to the Bible. The Bible sets the slaves free. The the people of Israel were set free from the slavery of Egypt. Now that's why if you know your African American history even though the cult white slave owner who oppressed the black people in the name of his religion. Now remember he was no more Christian than a Mormon is a Christian. They did it oppressively but what did they hear? They heard the gospel and God used it despite their sins. Same thing with the conquistador doors. While Mayans were ripping out your heart and and raping you and pillaging you, the conquistadors set you free, Latin America. From that, yes, they oppressed their own stuff, but know your history. There was many good priests that started to implement Christian worldviews. Are you listening to me? My Roman history wasn't a friend. Rome was not my friend. If I was a Christian, they would burn me alive. Don't judge based on this. Judge based on this. Amen. Can I hear an amen to that? Some of y'all get upset when I talk like this, by the way. Because you know what I'm saying. Like, you know, my African-Americans, they want to dress in the tribal outfits of African-America. The the Latinos, they want to wear the Mayan. What would it be like if I came here dressed like a Roman soldier? Let's just be honest for a minute. Like, you're like, white boy, you can't, because I'm Italian, you know, like, white boy, you can't go back that far in your history, but I can to my, listen, Rome was going to hell in a handbasket. The African tribes, going to hell in a handbasket. The Mayans and the Incans, guess where they were going? To hell in a handbasket. There's only one race, the human race. Do not identify with color, my friends. That's a devil's lie. Do not identify with style of hair. Don't, don't identify with nappy or straight. Are you listening? Don't identify with language. Identify by the word of God. Identify by the word. One race, the human race, and now those born again in Christ are being made a new humanity. Are you listening? Now go back to this. What did, what did the African-American slave hear? He heard that he was set free in the gospel. And despite what that slave owner was saying, Booker T. Washington believed the gospel over the cultish version. And that's why today Latin America is one of the best Christian nations. Places like uh, Bogota, Colombia has 400,000 members. Brazil has more uh, 400,000 member church. Brazil has more Pentecostal Christians there than we do in America. Are you listening? Because despite things that were done wrong, if the gospel came out, people in their spirit could receive it. And that's why we were able to be free from slavery here. 300,000 people died here for freedom. Are you listening? That's why we're not wearing swastikas today, because we died for that kind of freedom. So the American worker, whatever melanin skin color they have, whatever eye shape that they have, the American worker needs to trust in God and not in the dollar bill. We need, as the American worker, to all of us look back at how we got here, how our nation arose, and add to the story of its success. Add to the story of its success. So you're an African American. Today you feel oppressed. If in any way, look back to Reverend Martin Luther King. Look back to Booker T. Washington. Are you listening to me? Do not look to Malcolm X. Do not look to the race baiting of today's culture. Latinos feel oppressed. Do not look to Che Guevara. Do not look to socialists who ruined entire nations like Cuba. They do not have a Labor Day in Cuba like this. Are you listening? Are you upset that I'm talking about your business? Cuz it better be talked about somewhere. I don't like talking about God and politics. That's all I talk about. Is God and politics. That's all the Bible talks about, okay? So here's the deal same thing. I'm not identifying today with white slave owners. I'm identifying, because I wasn't there. My people weren't here. They came here about 75 years ago, so I wasn't here. I didn't own Kutakente. Are you listening to me? I had nothing to do with it. I wasn't there fighting in the Rio Grande. I had nothing to do with that, okay? So when I look back in American history, I, like many of you, I'm going to identify with the good guy. I'm going to identify with Booker T. Washington and the white man that worked with him, and together they were a powerhouse, white and black together, and I forget his name. Look up Booker T. Washington's quote-unquote mentor, the one he read a lot of his books and began to understand the true version of Christianity and began to work together with him. Um, Oh, it just slipped my mind. But anyways, and the same thing in Latin America. Look at the Christian Latin Americans. Look at the Christian Asians. Look at the, by the way, the house church right now in China is growing faster there than any place in the world. And they're being oppressed. Whenever they they can get a building, a government will allow them to have one property. They'll have like 10,000 members, and the government will finally let them have one property. They can't put a cross up so high. And if you saw that, some of them had to tear down the crosses. I mean, they didn't tear it down themselves, but the government tore it down. And so here's the deal identify with the good people everybody say the good people okay when if you were let me just let me make this plain one more time okay before i even get into the message if you were an egyptian by birth you were an egyptian by birth today you are from egypt you read the story of the people of israel being set free from egypt are you feeling sorry for the pharaoh are you are you listening to me Just imagine, you're from Egypt. You're like, man, I was born in Egypt. I love Egypt. Egypt's my country. When you're reading the Bible, though, are you on Pharaoh's side or are you on God's side? Whose side are you on? Okay, so when I read the Bible and I'm Roman, I'm Italian, when I look at them and they're crucifying Jesus, the centurion, whose side am I on? The centurion side or Jesus' side? Whose side should I be on? Okay, and you guys know about the Ethiopian eunuch who gave his heart to Jesus. See, I'm on his side. I'm on whoever's doing the thing for the Lord. And so what we have to do in America is appreciate what we have, see what good has come through our imperfections, and now bring it to a whole nother level. Do not let people use the problems of this world to turn you against God. So once again, just see it real quick. What was the difference between Malcolm X and Reverend Martin Luther King? The difference between heaven and hell, the difference between the truth and a lie. But we're both of them trying to fix the same problem. Absolutely. Two different ways of doing it. You choose the right way, choose the right path. Can I hear an amen? Well, happy Labor Day. Happy Labor Day. This is my Labor Day talk. <laughs> And whatever you do, Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Can I pray that over you today? And would you make sure that you always pray for my wife and I as the lead pastors of this church that we would do all things as unto the Lord? You know that every one of us have reasons to be depressed. I know you think about me, and you're like, Pastor, there's no way a pastor could ever be depressed. Do you know that I just saw another one of my friends close his church, shut down ministry. He says his marriage is falling apart. He's depressed, and he's calling out for help. I left him a text, a voice message, and a Facebook message. Somebody go, Oh, I'm reaching out to my friend. You can have trouble in any part of life, or you can have the joy of God in any part of your life. It's your decision on how you'll go through it. Remember, it's not what happens to you. It's how you respond to those things. And that's going to be today's message. So you could say, Pastor, you don't understand. My job is like this. I, I can't do it unto God. I can't go there with a smile. Uh, I'm a sheriff in the jail system. I have to shake down people. We have that in our church, sheriffs. I have to shake them down in jail cells. Oh, I'm a nurse. I have to clean up people's bedpans. Oh, you can make excuses for everything. I'm a public school teacher. You know, I work here. I work there. Oh, I work in downtown. I'm, I'm in a high rise You don't understand the pressure. Listen, I get that all of us have reasons to want to go to Monday or Tuesday work and say, this sucks, this is not good. But this is not what the Bible tells us to do. We do not live by our emotions. And by the way, nobody made you have that job, okay? So if you want to go live in Key West and go make margaritas, you can go do that in God-blessed America, okay? So stop complaining like you don't have a choice, first of all. Second of all, do it as unto the Lord, Go there with the right spirit in you and say, God, I will do this as unto you. And if you move me from here, let it be done in grace and peace. They threw Joseph in a pit. Then they put him into Potiphar's house as a slave. And then he was in prison. And everywhere he was, he was blessed. Let us believe God for the blessings of the Lord upon our life. Amen. Oh, Lord, I thank you today for all that you've done in our lives. And I ask that you bless the workers that are here. I pray that, uh, Lord, they will all work as unto you. God, that we would set an example on our jobs with good attitudes, good customer service, coming early, staying late. For those of us who own our own companies or in high levels of management, that, Lord, we would treat our employees fairly, that we would be wise and considerate to them, and that, Lord, you would help us to be successful, Lord. And those who may be going through tough times on their job or finances, Lord, capitalism doesn't make everybody a winner, so sometimes, Lord, companies have to lay off, jobs have to be lost. Pray, Lord, that there is a, a shifting, a realignment, God, into new jobs, new companies, maybe reeducating and taking new positions so that you can continue to fl- fuel our economy so that we may have more to do for you. America still sends out the most missionaries and funds the gospel and does more charitable work and protects more nations than any nation in the world. So we say today, God bless America as we bless you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. I'm feeling patriotic today. I'm feeling patriotic. I hope you guys got something out of that message before the message. So let's open up our Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Today we are talking about uh, the Excuse me, sir, can you put it up there today? Today we're talking about being enlightened by hope. Ephesians, thank you, chapter 1, verse 15. We're in a sermon series on the book of Ephesians, going through it verse by verse. Let's start in verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. How many love to pray for each other here, for your family, for your church, for your job and your nation? Keep praying. Now look what he prays. Verse 17, I keep asking... That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. How many are praying for this nation to know God better? How many want Donald Trump to know God better? How many want our governor to know God better? Our mayor, our leaders, our bosses, our employees, uh, our friends, our family, our enemies, our frenemies, uh, our people in between. We want everyone to know God better. That should be our prayer for our children and for our children's children. Now look at verse 18. That's today's text. Let's read on the count. Of three, one, two, three. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people. We are telling today Eastern religions to back off of enlightenment. It belongs to God. Buddha took it from God. Hinduism took it from God. Brad Pitt wearing yoga pants doing the crooked chicken took this from God. Are you listening? Whatever you've heard about enlightenment comes from our creator. Remember, there's not many gods. There is one God, and everything else is an imitation of the one God. The one God who made you in his Image made you a spiritual being to have enlightenment. But you don't have to do it sitting under a juniper tree trying to rid yourself of suffering. Jesus suffered on the cross for you so that you could have eternal life. The born-again nature is made complete by Jesus, and he then wants you to know the hope, which is beyond the scope of human limitation and the riches of his glorious inheritance. Meditate on that, holy people. Come on, do I got any holy people here? Thank I'm talking about holy people have an enlightenment, have a right to enter into spiritual realms and to know hope and to an inheritance. And verse 19, I'll continue reading, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So there are three things God wants us to be enlightened to, hope, inheritance, and power. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realm. See, there's only one that's been exalted to the right hand of God the Father, and that's Jesus Christ. Now understand this. The Son of God pre-existed with the Father and was there in creation and is our creator. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Son was the the person that came and breathed into us. The Holy Spirit is what gave us light, and the Father was behind the plan, okay? But here's the deal. When Jesus, when the Son rather, came into a body and took on flesh and became Jesus, Jesus was the God-man. Son of God always existed. Jesus started existing when the Son of God took on flesh same person as the Son of God but the difference is is Jesus has flesh eternal Son of God never had flesh do you understand The person of the Son of God took on flesh and became the God-man, 100% God, 100% man, fully God, fully man. And so Jesus, as a man, lived a sinless life, was crucified for our sins, buried and rose again, and then was given authority to rule and reign and was sat next to the Father. So some people may say... If the Son of God always had authority, why did Jesus have to get it? Do you understand now why Jesus had to get it as a man? Son of God became a man. Does everybody get it? He already had it as the Son of God without flesh, without being a man. The second person of the Trinity is equally God. He is equally God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word is another name for the Son of God. Everybody tracking with me? So when the Son of God became Jesus, took on flesh, he then did this for the sake of man, for redemption for man. And by doing the work of salvation, death, burial, resurrection, He is exalted as a man the son of God in flesh still to this day has a body as a man is at the right hand of the fathers Everybody tracking me there Why is that so important because God and man has been unified in Jesus that means we can be unified with God through Jesus Because there's only one mediator between God and man listen the man Christ Jesus So the son of God became one of us so that we could become like him Think of it like that way. The Son of God became the Son of Man, that sons of men might become sons of God. Somebody put that on Facebook. Amen. Now look at this. He did this. He was exalted to the highest place. He is there as a man, our representative, our Savior. Verse 21, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. So is there anything above Jesus? No. So the Father has made Jesus our God and Savior. That's what Titus says. Jesus, the God-man, is our great God and Savior. He always was God, but becoming a man, man then was exalted with the divine into all authority, all power, and dominion. And every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Everybody know there's an age to come, right? There's a kingdom to come. And who's ruling there? Not Trump, not Hillary, not Chavez, not, not any of these dictators. It is Jesus. Can I hear an amen for Jesus? Thank you. And every nation, tribe, and language will be represented there. The new humanity. Verse 22, new humanity has to be born again. How many born-again people do I have here today? Being born again is to ask Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life, not by works, lest any man should boast. By, by, by putting faith in Jesus, you're made a new creation. Your body looks the same on the outside, but when the kingdom comes, your body is changed, glorified, and that is the new human race. That is what God created us to be like in the garden, and we lost. So he got it back. Verse 22, God placed all things under his feet, and a appointed him to be over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. He fills everything in how many ways? Every way. And that's being revealed now in the church and one day will be revealed upon the earth. Here are the lessons that we're getting as we're going section by section to the book of Ephesians. We're on section um, of Number four, sermon four out of this section, there's going to be nine. Here are the definitions for today. To be enlightened or enlightenment means to cause something to come to light and become clear. That's what we're really talking about, is to be enlightened to see things as they are. I once was blind, but now I see. So what you want to be enlightened to is the way the world is around you. What makes the world the way it is? So you need to be enlightened to God as a creator. Why is there evil then? Because God gave angels and men free will. That's why, and we chose evil. Why is there judgment to come? Because God is just. What will save us from that judgment? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You must be enlightened to these things. But those things I just said are the foundation for all the other plans that God has. We never leave the gospel just like your house and its walls never leaves its foundation. Okay? So you never say, I'm just moving on from the gospel to go study the horsemen of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. No, don't do that. and You'll be weird anyways, okay? If even you're going to go study the four horsemen of the apocalypse, you do it from the foundation foundation of the enlightenment of the gospel you do it from the revelation and wisdom as we talked about last week that you learned about the triune nature of god literally just within my introduction some of you who are new to metro praise international you learn more about the trinity than you ever had before and you know what's cool about this and i don't even want to pat myself on the back but i guess i will but here's the deal i'm not even like being like deep other brothers and sisters will tell you all, all i'm doing is this explaining creeds but we got people in the church leaders they get so far off in the weird stuff that they have to be so unique and different and blow your mind that they're talking nonsense half the time. When you hear me talk about the Son of God becoming Jesus, being resurrected, dude, that is like as old as the church is. That is as old as the Bible is. These are what our creeds are based on. But most of you don't even understand the creed, the Athanasian creed, the, the Apostles' creed. You don't understand the Nicene Creed. And so when I bring it to this generation, like God became man, that man might be unified with God. It's like, woo, Ooh, that blows our minds, you know, that we're enlightened, that enlightenment actually belongs to Christianity and not the Eastern religion. You know, it's like, wow, that blows our mind. But these are basic things, and the things get deeper than this, but these are the basic things. And then there's a hope. Some may say, a hope. And here is the hope, a definition from the Bible of what hope is. It's a joyful and confident expectation of God's promises to come to pass. So here's Paul's prayer, right? Paul is praying that we would know God better. And in our knowledge of God, we would know hope, his inheritance to come, and his glorious power. And then he goes on to keep praying that Jesus will rule and reign in our hearts in every way and everything. So this is very important for the next three messages that we understand enlightenment, And we understand hope because that ties into understanding the inheritance to come, the kingdom to come, and the power of Christ upon this earth. Because if you look at the world for the way it is, you may become hopeless. You may lose your hope. You may think that God's not in control. Maybe evil is stronger than God. So if you can understand enlightenment, you can see past the world the way it is. And if you can have hope, not based on the scope of what you see, but the hope of what God promised, you're going to live a successful life. Can I get an amen? Amen. Now here it is. Here's how you are to be spiritually enlightened to God's hope. Now this is where it's going to get deep. In these last few moments, somebody say, go deep. (laughs) Let me bring it down. Okay. For some reason, when I sit down, I feel like I'm more chill. And then when I sit like this, no, I'm kidding. I feel like I'm meditating. Now here we go. I just want to be, like, real chill with you guys because I feel like if I just start preaching, you guys are going to miss some of this. So I want to talk to you as if we were in Pastor Joe's home Bible study, okay? So track with me here. How are we going to be spiritually enlightened to God's So We are going to be enlightened by God's Word when we pray and meditate on that Word and His love. So what we need to learn how to do is Christian meditation, Christian meditation. We need to learn how to do what David did before he went to battle, okay? It's like sometimes you see these athletes, you know, they're going to go play the game. They got their hoodie on. They got their headphones on, you know, and they're just like in that state right there. You know, the, the idea that we're going to focus, meditation just means focus, that that this belongs to somebody other than Christians, it, it's a deception. We've been bamboozled, hoodwinked. We need to take it back. Take back that fortune cookie and stuff a proverb in there. Are you listening? Take back yoga pants and wear whatever you feel comfortable in. And I'll tell you what, I I love my pastor because I would always go to his house and visit. You know how he would meditate? I would come and see him in his living room in his Lazy Boy. He would have his blanket around him because he lived in New Orleans, but no matter what time of the year it was, it was like 62 in his house because he loved the AC. So it would be like really freezing and he would have his little blanket on him and I would just see him just laying like this. And I would like walk in accidentally. I'm like, oh, pastor's meditating. He's praying, but in a concentrated, focused way. He's not just praying like like random prayers, he's using his mind and imagination with the things of God. And when you understand that this is part of, of the entire plan of God, everything else starts to make sense to you, like dreams and visions start to make sense to you, okay? Uh, The Psalms start to make sense to you because all it is is poetic language to send you off on the glory ship, amen? It's like, choo-choo, all aboard, next stop, glory, and it's like, chugga-chugga-chugga, you know, the glory ship, that'd be like the glory train. So God wants you to get on the glory train, okay? Now, I know as Pentecostals, we know how to shout, we know how to Jump. We had to play. We know how to play loud music, whatever, and speak in tongues and get, get get bold for God. But what we also need to know how to do is meditate, so that we can be enlightened. And this is once again, this is not something this existed before Buddha even existed. Okay, this goes back into the Old Testament. This goes back into the moments of creation. So what I want to do is just help you understand what it means to meditate according to the Bible. And if you just do a word search, this because it's cool to do that sometimes. Just put the word meditate in the Bible. And just like starting in Psalms 1, you'll see it. Blessed is the man who meditates upon your law day and night. You remember I've quoted that here before. And you'll just see meditation all throughout the Bible. It's all there. So what we're going to learn to do is meditate on God's love. Now before we begin to do this, I just want you to see like how the Bible sets it up. So you can do this. So It's like we're meditating on the word, we're meditating on God's love, but you've got to have a position, a posture to do this, otherwise you're going to miss it, okay? Now let me just back up and say this because I've got to explain all of this. How many know you're not just a physical being, but you're also a soul, you're a spiritual being? How many believe that? Okay. For those of you who don't believe that, just think about this for a minute. They can put you under an x-ray right now And, you know, aside from the radiation, let's just imagine you could play with an x-ray, and you could actually just start looking at yourself under an x-ray, put it under your head, and, you know, put it over your head and look at yourself in the mirror as the x-ray shows you the pictures, whatever. We can observe our entire physical body. That's the first thing to prove to you. You're not a physical body. Your hand does not observe itself. Come on, get deep right now. Come on. Going deep. You can actually observe your whole entire nervous system. So where are you then? You're not in your nervous system because you can observe your nervous system. Come on, think about it. That's deep. You can actually observe your entire brain activity. That's what they're doing a lot right now to help people with the mental conditions of, of a P- PTSD. They're actually showing them the scan in live time. They show them what it does in their brain. They give them exposure therapy, and they start showing them when they act differently, the brain states start to change, okay, and they can start to see they're literally changing brain states right in the actual therapy session. This is mind-blowing. So what does that teach us? I'm not the brain if I'm the one changing the brain. Did you get that? Another way to understand. This is just science. Everybody says science. It works and it belongs to who? God or the devil? Belongs to God. Okay, science it works, okay? Another thing to understand is that you as a person are immeasurable, immeasurable, but you as a physical object are measurable. So your brain is about this big, and your hand's about this big. Okay. Measure your personality for me now, please. Measure it. Measure your memories. Oh, they're in there somewhere. How many are in there? Just because they have found our hard drive and mapped out where we store stuff and how it works, once again, doesn't show where it's coming from. Dr. Eccles, a Nobel Peace Prize winning neurologist, talked about this, that the soul uses the brain like a driver uses a car. And this is why Christians have always been compassionate to who? The children those who have not quite been able with their soul to utilize the brain. We treat them as persons, do we not? We treat the elderly as persons, do we not? Right now in Canada, they want to keep doing infanticide. I mean, uh, um, euthanasia, killing the old people, and we're doing infanticide here, killing our children. And what's another thing that Christians have always done from, from uh, Mother Teresa, whatever we have treated, the mentally ill, the sick, And the dying with love and dignity. While Iceland wants to almost mandate that you kill every one of your children that are found to be with Down syndrome before they're ever born, Christians are saying birth them and we'll adopt them. We will care for them. Why is that? It's because we value the soul in the body. So what is mental illness? What is dementia? What is Alzheimer's? What it is is using a broken or a corrupt hard drive as the soul. So imagine you're the greatest guitar player ever. You're the greatest guitar player. But I hand you a guitar with three broken strings, and the other three are out of tune. You cannot play it. You cannot play, it. and all of those here who have, we have people who work with those who are autistic or those who have challenges. Does it not seem like in there, in behind the eyes, behind the physical body, there's someone reaching out? There, that you'll talk to people who work with the sick and the dying. You'll talk to people who work with those who have Down syndrome, and they're persons. It's the soul is limited by the body, the three-string guitar. Or here's another way to look at it. Imagine you're the best baseball player that's ever lived. You're, you're the one that can hit a home run every single time. But, but before we put you up to bat this time, we put on glasses that send the light and reflection in all different ways. So when you're standing here, instead of the pitcher appearing there, literally the pitcher appears over here, and you don't even, you don't even know where the ball is coming from. And that's what mental illness is like. That's what's happening to some degrees a lot harder with mental, uh, a lot more difficult brain damage, like mental retardation. But even things like disorders of PTSD and uh, anxiety and all of these things, it's a disorder of the brain. But the soul must interact with that brain and be treated as a person. That's why when we we got into the time of psychology, they tried to treat you as a machine and drug you up, and they found out real quick that the drugs weren't helping the mental life. As a matter of fact, those who are on the psychotic drugs oftentimes have higher rates of suicide, higher rates of of dysphoria and and hallucinations, because it's a very dangerous thing to mess with the brain when we fully don't understand it yet. But what we do know, and I have the book here, Switch On Your Brain, by Dr. Uh, Leaf, who's a Christian neurologist here. Uh, what we do know is that the soul has to be involved in the healing. From, from uh, Down syndrome, from autism to PTSD, you have to involve the soul in what you're doing. Okay, now watch. For those of us here who have a, a functioning brain without the broken strings, what we can deal with is a brain that runs on auto drive or autopilot. And what we oftentimes, and I relate to you too because I have a brain and it's the same thing for me, is we have a brain that will think oftentimes 30,000, 40,000 thoughts a day and it's on autopilot and we don't know how to shut it down and we start to get confused thinking that our thoughts are us. Our thoughts are us. But what we have to understand is that they brain, and I believe when Paul talks about the flesh and putting to death the flesh, the main central nervous system of the flesh is the brain. And so what you need to learn to do is not take in your thoughts, but filter your thoughts and then talk to yourself. You have to learn to talk to yourself, not just listen to yourself, because it's deceiving, isn't it? And all of us can relate to this, especially women, time of the month, shouldn't have gone there, but I did. Let me go through it fast. But you understand, hormones change, thought patterns change, and what do you do? You start observing yourself, and you know this is not who you normally are, but you're not understanding how to stop it, but you wish that it would stop. Let's talk to the guys now, being hangry same thing you know you don't normally get mad this way you normally not frustrated. you're observing from the outside these reactions of the physical stimuli of not eating and the agitation and the same thing if we started putting up the heat in the in the house here in the building these things agitate us come on and now things are coming out so what the Bible is saying is that we have to learn to suppress the stimuli of the body and exalt the things of the soul Okay, are you with me? And so we need to push down the stimuli of sexual drive and exalt love and marriage in the soul and value that. And then we do what? We retrain the brain. We retrain the brain. And that's exactly what they're doing now. That's exactly what they're doing. Dr. Keith Ward, the leading expert right now on OCD, is talking this talk. So this is not just a pastor using information and trying to somehow make science fit into it. The smartest neurologist right now, I have about 20 books on neuroscience, okay? The best of them who have proven research and data are doing the breakthroughs with this understanding. Now go back, go back, go back, go back. Do you think God understood when he made us like this, this is how we were supposed to to do life? Like we were supposed to meditate and be enlightened and have hope? Do you think that's how God made us? he did so he built into the system the self-healing not that it's driven by self it's driven by the spirit but the self can heal itself with the spirit so just for example if I cut my arm right now I have an accident my arm is cut God built into the flesh a device for the blood vessels to start clogging the cut and start to heal itself is everybody with me in that God built into our brains this system. That's why even when non-Christians are using it, they're seeing breakthroughs because it's a built-in system. Now, the Christian, do we have an advantage? Absolutely. Because the solical realm, the realm of our thoughts, belongs to the things of God. And so now we can increase in our happiness. And I don't just mean the, the joy that comes from stance. I mean true happiness that goes deeper than just what's going on around you. And I want to talk about that in just a second in the last, I guess, four minutes I have left of this message. Okay. Look at Psalm 119, 41. May your unfailing love come to me, Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then I can answer anyone who taunts me. And sometimes you can taunt yourself, taunt, your brain can taunt you. Everybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, for I trust in your word, never take your word of truth from my mouth, for I've put my hope in your laws. How does this work? Look at it, he's calling out for God's love. He's saying, Lord, I'm going to trust it. That means he's going to do more than just mentally ascend to it. Remember, I can believe that skydiving works, but I will trust it when I get on the the plane and start jumping out, right? I can say God can do this for you, but I'll learn to trust it when I start controlling my thoughts with my soul. Are you listening? And then you'd put your hope in God's law. Keep going here. Just a few more. Psalm 119, 13 and onward. I hate double-minded people, but I love your law. You are my refuge and my shield. I put my hope in your word. Where are you going to go to find mental peace when you have mental anguish? You go to the Lord. The Lord is a strong tower. He defends you. He keeps you safe. Away from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commands of my God. Sustain me, God, according to your promise, and I will live. Do not let my hopes be dashed. you ever feel like your hopes are dashed? Because God is teaching us not to put hope in those things. My hope can't even be in my children. My hope has to be in the God of my children. So if I were to lose my children in a car accident, my hopes are not dashed. Oh, some of y'all didn't get that. Why are so many people's hopes dashed at funerals? Because they thought God owed them something. He's saying here, God, let me understand. You hold life and death. You hold it. So my hopes can't be dashed if my hope is always in you. You never deserved that child to begin with. You never deserved to know him for one day. You never deserved life. You never deserved to breathe. You're here. God is gracious. Amen. Put your hope in him. And whenever things don't work out the way you and I plan, we step back and go, God's plan better. God's plan better than my plan And if I don't see it now I'm not trying to play tricks with my mind Because really you can't make yourself believe things uh, That's called brainwashing And it still doesn't work It's really not a true belief It's just an enforced belief So really you have to settle this in your heart Not like I'm telling myself I'm happy And life doesn't matter Woo, My child just died No, no, no You're literally taking the deepest part of you And you're putting it in God's hand going Okay, I'm cool with that I can rest in this And it's logical, by the way, because remember, you shouldn't be making children. Humans should not even be alive. There should be no planet here with blue skies and green grass. Do you understand? This is a privilege to be alive in the land of the living. We'll talk about that more. Uh, You reject all who stray from your decrees, for their delusions come to nothing. Nothing. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore, I love your statues. My flesh trembles in fear of you. I stand in awe of your laws. And so here's the deal. What people don't understand is because they're rejecting the things of God, their delusions come to nothing. I don't want to be uncompassionate here. But suicidal people die because they are delusional. I don't mean like, I'm crazy delusional. I'm talking like they have a delusion over what it's about. Because if they understood the moment they take their life, they just sent themselves to eternity early, they would understand this solves nothing. If they would truly understand the pain they're injecting upon others, they wouldn't do. And if they would understand their purpose for life. And you may say, but pastor, it hurts. And suicidal people are hurting. I get it. But we don't feed them delusions. We feed them truth. Okay. We feed them truth. And I do believe in the Dr. Meyer's Clinic. It's the largest Christian clinic in the, in the city, and it's around the country, and I have his book, Happiness is a Choice, and they're wonderful, and they'll help you with using drugs. But just understand this. I can put you to peace right now, so you're worrying, you're having anxiety. I can put you to peace right now. Where's the IV? Give you the morphine, put you down. You're at peace. There you are. But when you get off from that do you understand you have to work out things and so really what psychotropic drugs are doing is just slowing you down enough so that you can have clear thoughts but the bottom line is if you don't know what a clear thought is it doesn't matter how much I slow this down you still have to at the end of the day battle between crazy thoughts delusional thoughts and God's thoughts right is everybody with me And you're going to be held responsible for this. Now, I'm not here to judge every suicidal person because we don't know the thoughts, the pain, and God is merciful. It's not an unpardonable sin. But I'm just trying to say, do not think you just get out of this and get to hit reset in eternity. You're going to be held very accountable for the things you did here, okay? My heart and flesh trembles at you. How many are trembling a little bit in the fear of the Lord but aren't standing in the awe of his love? He created you, that's not your choice That is true, you're here already By his choice, you better use it Rightly, this life that you have Now let's look about God's love, everybody say he loves me This I know, for the Bible has told me so I will wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, Psalms 135. You notice I'm using a lot of Psalms here, stirring up the heart of meditation. And in his word, I will put my hope. I will wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for for with the Lord is what kind of love? Unfailing love. And with him is what kind of redemption? Full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. So you see how you set your heart on that? How many understand this is going to change your world? Okay, I'm going to show you how to do it practically in just a moment, but hang in there. Psalm 147.10. His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor is delight in the legs of the warrior. How many got some strong warrior legs? Come on, you don't really talk about that much, but I feel like I got some. You talk about that the Navy Institute there, you talk about warrior legs. All right. You put it up there. So somebody was talking about it back then. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Okay, everybody hear that? But what makes us hopeless here it is doubt and unbelief I doubt that I don't know if that's true okay here's where you got to step back and understand I brought up some world history today what gave Reverend Martin Luther King hope he hoped in God he said I have a dream he was meditating on it he saw beyond his circumstances is everybody listening to me what gave Booker T Washington a hope and a plan What gave the people fighting against armies, hopes, and dreams? It's God. Whenever we're putting our heart towards God, we're going to see things beyond the limitation of our world. Hope beyond the scope of human limitation. So we've got to understand doubt and unbelief takes away hope. Doubt and unbelief is like a hole in our hope bucket. So you cannot expect to have hope when you're doubting that God can give you hope. It's a vicious circular cycle you have to make your stance and say i will believe it whether i feel it or not let's go back to the idea of sedating you and bringing you to peace but how about this what if right now we could give you a lot of caffeine and all of a sudden your body is just shaking i mean it's just like oh my god oh my god and let's say it starts to have the effect on the brain where thoughts are moving faster through your brain and you start to have anxiety okay we induced the anxiety okay but let me ask you a question what changed in the actual world before the induced of anxiety and when you had the anxiety absolutely nothing changed in the scope of the world but your physiological body changed and so now things that weren't that big of a deal before now you're just so anxious about because there's stuff flowing through your body right your anxiety worry depression is all related to physical chemicals in your body and god wants you to learn to regulate them worry and unbelief hinders serotonin. Now, I'm not a doctor. I have the doctor's book there. But it hinders serotonin from flowing. Okay? The frown hinders the, the serotonin. Smiling releases serotonin. Serotonin. Thinking negative about the world, they've tracked it all out. Guys, this is not even like new age stuff. This is this is real science. They give people tests. They, they, they had people look at their children, things that they were empathetic towards, and then watch some horrible things like uh, people dying, car accidents, and then just had another test group just watch car accidents. Okay? And they watched the parts of their brain. That, that have to do with stress and all of these things. The people who before they went into the stressful situation were provoked with love and empathy had less stress in their mind, in their brain, when they, were, when they were triggered in those ways to the ones who were not. Doesn't this go back to why in battle the guy, the soldier's carrying his loved one with him. They say with fear of flying, same thing. Bring a picture of someone you love. Focus on that person and let the emotion come out because that emotion will sedate the worry and the stress this is built into us are you listening but the unbelief and the doubt that produces the fear that produces the anxiety that's why you feel doubtful when you are doubtful and the way you get out of feeling doubtful is not wait for feelings you think differently and wait for the feelings to come Some of you are waiting for good feelings to come, then I'll think good. But you start thinking on God's love while you feel sad, while you feel serotonin levels low, while you feel anxious, you speak the word, you meditate on the word, and what then happens, body adjusts to it. Chemicals are released, and this is the system God built us in, okay? Once again, it's why the world is doing it. Let them not take it, take it back in Jesus' name, and I don't mean like, Go over there, like you go up to like a yoga clinic and be like, hey, y'all got to get out of here. we doing Bible studies here now. Now I'm not talking like you just start tearing stuff down. I'm just saying come to the friends and family you know who are doing this and bring them the better idea. Show them, hey, you like enlightenment? How about get born again, experience God, boom, shakalaka upon this earth. You like meditating? Try meditating upon Psalm 23 one day and you teach them this physical sickness and fatigue. How many have heard the studies about cancer patients having a higher survival rate when they had the right mental attitude? Why? Because stress is a blocker to all medications. Stress releases chemicals that fight all the medication going into your body. You have to have low levels of stress so that you can have a healthy body to receive that. And so we feel Feel hopeless when we're doubtful. It's natural. We feel hopeless when we're sick because the body's not functioning correctly, and we need to combat that. Like it's, it's like take your Holy Ghost medicine is what I'm saying. Sorrow and mental anguish. How many know you hear today the loss of a loved one? What's the stimuli going to do to your brain? Cry. I just lost somebody I love. They still to this day do not understand why we release water from our tear ducts when we cry. Look it up. It's a mystery to them. They may figure it out. We don't know why as, as of yet. But your brain will send triggers of, I'm sad. I just lost my brother. I lost my uncle. Right? So what, what happens? What does that feel like? It feels like hopelessness. Why is that stuff here, by the way? It's because of sin. Sin brought death. Sin brought death of physical bodies. Sin brought death of hopes and dreams. Sin brought all this kind of death. Are you guys tracking with me? And so you feel that death. You feel it when you lose a job. The death of a dream on that job. The death of a relationship, right? And sadness comes. Mental anguish comes. What do you do? Meditate on God's love. Meditate on God's word. What happens with sorrow and sighing? The Bible says it begins to flee. You're not telling yourself, oh, I'm just so happy. I'm just so happy. I'm so happy. Oh, I'm happy. No, you're you're not playing this. You're not playing a make-believe game. This is how you're, I wish I can get to it. Please be patient with me. Labor Day week, and you all got to work tomorrow anyway, okay? Come on. (laughs) This is helping you. I'm just trying to, like, change your whole life right now, so give me a break. I'm just, just talking about your life here, okay, anyways still get paid the same by the way i don't get paid ot for overtime you know some of y'all want to deduct my pay for overtime hey who can i talk to about that deduct this pay for this going too long but seriously rejection broken relationship unfulfilled desires all of this is here let me just give you a life example okay here's pastor lim's testimony pastor lim was caught in north korea as a missionary He's a Korean believer. God sent him back there to be a missionary. From the, he got captured and put into a labor camp. From the first day of my detainment, late January 2017, uh, 2015 to the day I was released, I ate 2,757 meals in isolation by myself. How many think you're going to get depressed? You're in a North Korean labor camp, and you have eaten meals upon meals in isolation. It was difficult to see how the entire ordeal would. It was difficult to see how the entire ordeal would end. During the winter, I had to dig holes that measured one meter wide and one meter deep. The ground was frozen. The mud was so hard it took uh, days to dig just one hole. It was incredibly challenging. My upper body was sweating. My fingers uh, and toes were frostbitten. I also worked inside of a coal storage facility. Anybody working in the coal mines today? Okay, so be happy you're not working in coal mines. Anybody digging ditches with their hands today? Okay, is anybody here eating 2,000 meals by themselves today? Why do I say all that? Not to mock your problems, but I feel so often as I as the pastor, of course, with my son, because I always play outside with my kids, you guys look at me and say, well, it's just real easy for you to say. You live here and you've got, my friends, what example do you possibly need to help you understand this works, Okay. And part of the reason why I have such a good life is because I'm not busted and disgusted anymore, Amen. And when I used to be tore up from the floor up, God saved me and changed me. So just because you don't know my busted self, don't act like I don't understand something. Because you can't criticize the story in the glory until you know my story, my testimony, Amen. You got to know the details here, okay. Now watch this. What does he say? He's getting frostbitten. all this stuff is happening. He's working in the coal mine. In spring and summer, I worked outside eight hours a day of scorching heat. Look at what he says. Not a day of gloom. Lynn said he knew people who were praying for him and that daily the feeling of loneliness and isolation turned to peaceful solitude with God. While I was laboring, I prayed without ceasing. I did not have a day of gloom. My moments of discouragement, resentment, and grumbling turned into courage, joy, and thanksgiving. This is possible in every situation in life. Can I hear an amen? Uh, Do I have time to go through 10 scriptures? No, I don't. Would you stand up with me, please? I have a bunch there for you to help you out. Band, would you come? I've gone too long. I just got excited. Maybe I preached too long about Labor Day, but here we are anyways. (laughs) How many want to practice meditation right now? You guys want to do it? We're going to meditate on God's love for us and the promises he's given us in his word. Amen? What we want to do to make this practical is just think of today, the most challenging situation of your life. Let's just go right there. Let's trigger mentally the most challenging situation. So for me, it's being a father of five and not letting them down but being strong for them. That's my most challenging situation. And I, and I mean this in all sincerity. I'm sorry if I don't have your problems today, okay? I'm just being real honest with you. But I'm gonna take my problems to Jesus and I hope I can set the example. But just in case you're thinking, well, Pastor can't relate to my divorce, my children's rebellion, me losing my job. There's a guy who was digging ditches with his hands in a coal mine in solitary confinement that says I found joy, okay? So let's cut out the excuses. Let's cut it out today. So I'm going to take my biggest problems, not that my children are the problem, but problems come up when you're trying to raise five. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to see God's love over them. I'm going to use my imagination. Meditation involves imagination. We're not thinking about nothing, which is stupid. Okay, you can't think about nothing. Nothing doesn't exist. Does everybody understand that? You're going to think about something. What you're going to think about, Is love in God's Word in that situation. So what am I going to do? I'm going to think about my children, my wife, and my kids. For you, you may have a boss that's being very disrespectful to you. I want you to think about God's love over your boss, and I want you to think about you prospering on that job. As you begin to do that, I want you to begin to pray the will of God for your life in that area. And then I want you to start to feel the peace of God. Can we do that today? And how about you make time to do that every day this week and tell me next week how it worked because that's how I go through life. So I have situations in my life. I'm taking my prayer walk. A lot of times I like to pray by the river. I'll walk. I'll sit and I'll pray. And sometimes I'll just sit there and I'll just close my eyes and I'll see the person attacking me or the situation going wrong and I say, God, just change my heart for it. You say, Pastor, that sounds really new age. No, it sounds like the Bible. Therefore, seeing we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, What? Let us run the race that is set before us, looking unto who? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, having sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, despising the shame. For the joy set before you here. Where's the joy? Come on, follow me here. Where's the joy? Before you, but where? In your heart. It's here. You bring it with you. Enlightenment to the funeral. Come on, use your imagination. You're going to the funeral. It's gray and dark, but it's enlightened with the worldview of Jesus. You're going to the job. You're not having a lot of friends there. It's tough. But you're going there with the worldview of Jesus. It's enlightened to you. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Okay, let's do it right now. Meditate upon the Lord's goodness and his word. Set your heart on things above. I pray that you would be enlightened I pray, Paul was praying that we would be enlightened to the hope of God, to the hope in your situation. What was Pastor Lim doing in a concentration camp? Setting his heart on Jesus. What was Jesus doing as people were beating him? Setting his heart upon you, his sons and his daughters. Set your hopes on Jesus. Set your hope on him. You do it. You do it. And watch what your body will begin to do. Some of you right now are starting to feel a lightness, a lightness of your spirit. It's okay to smile in church. Let a smile naturally come on your face. Come on. Let a smile naturally come on your face. Hope beyond the scope of limitations. You're going to learn to laugh at the enemy's tricks because you're not going to see him as the world does. You're going to see him as a little gnat that doesn't get his way in this earth and that God squashes him in the end. You're awoke to the hope of the scope of Jesus' love for you. You will not be dismayed. You will not let the world throw you into confusion. You will not even grieve like the world. We do not mourn like the world. In the name of Jesus. Altar workers, would you come please? Thank you for your patience today. How many are starting to get how this works? How many have I just weirded out? I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hand. Don't don't discourage me on Labor Day. I'm working hard up here. I'm working hard for my money <laughs> man if we could just get this these are some of the secrets i'm telling you the most successful people i know in christianity do this do you remember i told you about my pastor just snuggled just snuggled ah oh. resting in jesus one of the most mightiest men of God I knew, because when he got when he got done snuggly wuggling with the Holy Ghost, warrior, warrior, man, I'm talking warrior. Same thing with the guy with his headphones on. He's just meditating, man. You know, whether it's Mayweather, whoever, I am going to kill whatever's in front of me right now. Going to battle. Come on, I love watching those war movies. The song comes on. The choppers' wings are happening. <laughs> we just meditating. This thing is ending right now. And if I die, what's the worst thing that happens? What's the worst thing? I go to heaven. God's in control. My wife and I were talking about this on the way here. My wife had a, a, a bad accident. Saturday, I came to church Sunday. We were talking about it, and I wanted to get real with her real quick. She said, I know that that's what you would do. You know, that's amazing. I said, honey, it wasn't just if you were an accident. If you would have died, I would have been in church. If my child would have died, I would have been in church. Because to me, this is how I fight. This is the victory. My victory is not a year from now on medication, y'all trying to figure out what went wrong in my life. No, my victory is every day saying, I don't want to be there. And for those who are there, we're not putting you down. We want to help you. We're not even saying it's your fault. Maybe you didn't even know these things. We are not trying to condemn you in any way. We love godly doctors that are helping you. We're not saying flush your medication down the toilet. Let them tell you you're good, okay? But our point is victory is possible. Victory is possible. Can we pray that out, Father? Thank you for Labor Day weekend. We thank you for your victory in our lives. We pray today we will learn it and live it every day. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Give it up for Jesus. Slap your neighbor, high five, and say, meditate on his love.